0: Hello, and welcome to Got The Runs, comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of a lady and a demon guy. (laughs) Which demon guy? At the end, she kisses him. Oh yeah, she does. She does give him a big smoochie. I forgot about that. Um, strange, strange book. Great, good stuff. I love it. You love it? I love it, yeah. I think, yeah, I love it. I'm prepared to say that I love it. Wow. Um, Fascinating stuff. I was hoping this would be a short episode, but it sounds like not. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't necessarily have tons of stuff to say about it, but I love it. (laughs) Uh, We are, of course, continuing our series on the work of Ed Brubaker. We are not, we are coming to the end now, surely. We're in the final five. uh, Yeah, this is supposed to take us through so that we don't have to record on christmas and we can have a crimbus break sure plus yeah i think we've got uh, i think we've got one two three four left five including this one right and then a, a bonus episode probably yeah at some point that'll be in the new year though yeah i think so and we are of course on the second did you realize when you laid this out that there were 11 issues in the first chunk and 13 issues in the second chunk yeah because so originally it was going to be 10 in the first chunk and 14 in the second chunk because most of the like breakdowns yeah they put like the Ravenscroft story with the other two like what's what's the word I want like Fatal's past stories sure um but I was like this one's still Josephine so I'm gonna keep it in with part one so I was like, Shoot. we either have to do 13 and 11 or 11 and 13 because it makes no sense to split up the two like historical fatal stories. Right. Sure, 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 sure. And yeah, I mean, this, I, I think ultimately I just can't quite wrestle with or understand. I did like these issues, I think, more than the first batch, but mm-hmm. I feel like ultimately I can't figure out what. He is trying to say like, (laughs) I feel like you can't do this comic without like having it to some extent be about like men and women and the relationship Mm -hmm. between men and women. (laughs) But then it's like, I don't really understand what he's trying to say. And like, I feel like he is coming at it from such a male lens that Mm -hmm. like, it's like, I'm like, do you know like what you're doing? <laughs> like, are you doing this on purpose, or is it just like you're a man, so you're doing it like this? Right. You're like, tell me, can they be friends or can't they? <laughs> right. Well, that's it seems like a It's not, a not what or... it's about. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like it comes down pretty firmly on the can't side. <laughs> well, you just have to <laughs> tattoo some runes to your body and then you're homies. Right. Or be a woman in disguise. Shh. <laughs> Sure. Well, let's not maybe use that terminology. Do you not think that that was what was going on? Well, I mean, maybe like trans man might be. Uh, I, I'm i referring to the specific like professor character in the story. Right. right. Did Was it your reading that that character was a trans man? I mean, I don't know if he necessarily had the capacity or the wherewithal to really like explore that. Mm Mm-hmm. Baker or the character? Both, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I just assumed that because Milkfed refers to that character as mother, that the revelation there was supposed to be not, it's a trans man. It was supposed to be, it's a woman in disguise as a man. Right. I mean, again, it's like, would someone in 2013, like have that thought necessarily. I don't know if that's true. And obviously, you know, historical queerness, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Sure. But yeah, I mean, like, as someone who reads into characters being queer (laughs) without them having the need Mm -hmm. to present as queer, I feel like I'm more inclined to take that read of it. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think the book really cares that much one way or the other. Mm hmm. I mean, I guess if it does, it's like pretty problematic <laughs> if, if it is right. trying to present them as a trans man, then it's like but it doesn't work on this man because I mean, well, th- this is this is kind of like a handy avenue into a thing that I was thinking about that we should talk about slash while I was reading it, which is no gay men in, <laughs> in this slash like no consideration for like how does a gay man interact with Josephine? Yes. Very true. Because because I think that like the that this whole reveal that we're discussing what we're supposed to kind of implicitly ask or or like have and no occurred gay women to us also. is like yeah, and no gay women. That's also true. No no gay people, period. Um But so we're (laughs) we're introduced to Milkfed and she Josephine is like, how come Milkfed? Like, how come my powers don't work on Milkfed? And he's it's because it's like, oh, he's got all these tattoos, blah, blah, blah. Black Bonnie. Right, sorry, Black Bonnie. This is another major point of confusion for me that I'm still not 100% resolved on that we'll discuss later. But anyway, so it's like, oh, it doesn't work on Milkfed because he's got these tattoos that protect him. And then I think we're supposed to, in our heads, be like, why doesn't it work on Professor... Professorson. The the Professor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With, With the reveal of like, oh, because the Professor is Milkfed's mother. Right who has been dis- ostensibly within the text of the story. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. like, what am I <laughs> saying? Within the text of the story, has been disguising themselves as a man for, I guess, just because it's hard to be a woman in the 19th century. hmm Yeah. So, like, it, that just, like, as a twist in a story that is so much about, like, sexuality and sexual attraction, I feel like as we are immediately encountering it like raises a lot of questions about how her powers work and then doesn't answer them because it's just like oh well it didn't work on this person because they were a woman at like textually that is like basically the sum total of the explanation but then that just makes me then be like well what about A gay man what about gay women especially and then it's like oh also it works on her son (laughs) so (laughs) then like okay (laughs) right like we're already venturing into very like heavily taboo territory with that to be like her own son is so horny for her he can't control it so then i'm like well what like yeah basically what about gay people like does it would it work on a gay man would it work on a gay woman those are my two big questions Yeah, and I think the main thing is like the fact that I think it's less about like we don't like it never gives us an explanation as to her power set and more Mm -hmm. just like the (laughs) book is fundamentally disinterested it seems like with exploring like almost like the concept of sexuality in a very real sense like we Mm -hmm. basically only see like we like you said like we don't really, there are no gay people in this story like we only see like Very conventional straight sex. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, but then it's like, and then it is, like you said, taboo in so many other ways, both sexually and non sexually. It just feels like it has like such a regressive sort of sexuality to it. And like, I guess that's by design, (laughs) like, because Mm -hmm. it is meant to be hearkening back to like stories that were written at a time when that would never be a consideration. But like, I don't know how you can write a story about this and like not be at all interested or even think about like that element of it which is what I mean by like I don't know what he want like I don't know what he wants to like get out of this or impart from this which because like it's like what part of this interests you ultimately if that's not what it is Mm -hmm. yeah it, it and it's interesting because like I don't think that the, like, sexuality aspect of it is really what interests him. And it does, yeah, it has that kind of, like, hearkening back to, like, a 50s-style noir where the view of sexuality is, like, almost puritanical, where, like, even, like, the most, like, vanilla, hetero sex is presented as, like, kind of, like, seedy or dirty in some way. And so then it's, like... And then anything you do to change that makes it that much more messed. So, like, the, like, weird orgies that, like, the demon guy has, it's like, that's completely messed. And, like, right. I mean, like, a lot and, of, and, like, equating sex with violence and, like, taboo sex. Yeah, with taboo yeah. Violence. And, uh, and, like, I do think that that is kind of some of the trappings of the, like, noir stories that inspired this originally is that, like, because the femme fatale represents, like, a certain amount of taboo sexuality then like basically all sexual interactions with her become infused with this sense of like some kind of like moral trespass right but then it's like but we don't ever get any insight into her sexuality like the like i mean it's like we see her like having sex with people and like not in situations where she doesn't like quote unquote need to have sex with people (laughs) Mm -hmm. or like is not using it for any personal gain other than like to have sex with them. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, does she like having sex? (laughs) And like, does it not like terrify her to have sex, which I feel like is just like the inherent maleness of the viewpoint is like he, I don't think he has really thought about like being in this situation would affect her sexuality or like her, relationship with sex like she just seems Mm -hmm. happy to have sex with anyone which i guess like (laughs) is kind of part of the character but it's like you know it's strange how you can on one hand present men as like well like you know men are actually like often (laughs) very like possessive towards women or like feel entitled to sex with women and like have all these thoughts about men's relationship with women while having sex but then it's like But if you're just a normal guy, like, of course she'll have sex with you. (laughs) And she does, like, frequently. And she does. It's true. Um, Yeah, there is one part where it, like, very briefly kind of, like, addresses that where I think it's, like, maybe after she gets her memory back in the Seattle story, I want to say. But at some point she, like, has a very, like, innocuous interaction with someone and is basically, like, this is the first time that like I have allowed someone to touch me in like X number of years. And it's like a very like, you know, basically like noting that and noting that like the act of like even a not really intimate physical contact in that like instance is something that is like stands out to her and kind of activates that sort of like thinking about like my powers, What is this going to like lead to? What is this going to do? Right. And I guess like in that storyline she does have amnesia. <laughs> mhm. So I guess that like but then but like it's like she knows what her powers are. And like we see more in this set of issues that it's like she has like awareness of when she is using her powers and like other people also have awareness of when she's using her powers sometimes. I think like, like- I think I think more so I think a lot of times people have awareness that she was using her powers in retrospect in the moment. They're not like she's, she like, well, so it, it depends. Like the serial Sometimes killer character are- and other characters will be like, I am drawn, like I can detect you basically. Like, I Oh can yeah. Feel that's that You're yeah. using your power and I am drawn to it. He like has done like a magic thing though. Right? Maybe. Yeah. And also we find out that her, she like causes everyone to fuck sexually. sex style. <laughs> <laughs> sorry that i <laughs> swore <laughs> i'm mad um well and that she makes women yeah. horny too that so yeah that i mean that moment seems like it's less about her like power and more about her like cosmic position <laughs> right. if that makes sense i think you're right but it's also but it's like huh <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that story is also, like, a very interesting sort of, like, complication to her. I really like that story. I think that's of the because, best bit. Yeah, and also in part because when I was reading it, I was like, this is a criminal story, right? Like, this is basically just a criminal story for, like, 90% of it. Um, but she, because she has amnesia, she comes across as, like, very malevolent in that story because, like... She does seem to know that she has her powers and she also like doesn't really seem to care what the like effect of her using them is having on like the band, which is interesting because once she gets her powers back, she's like, "Uh oh, or I mean her memory back. She's like, what have I done? Like, I, I was totally out of control. What was I thinking? But then I'm like, it's interesting that with no memory, but she still like knows about her power and retains like some, you know knowledge or, or she memories knows that in some she has capacity. an effect on people certainly yeah she basically immediately is like not only like i'm gonna use this for my own game but at sometimes seems like she's just like i'm just gonna stir the pot because it seems like it would be <laughs> fun <laughs> and yeah and also just like the idea like i think that much more especially in this set of issues like she she is almost never for this set of issues like positioned as the hero of the story or like the protagonist of the story she is either like a secondary character who kind of like is doing her own thing that like the main character is just like trying to keep up with and trying to like not control but like you know get ahead of in some ways mm-hmm. <laughs> or she like you said like i think it, in that story i was like she's the villain of this story certainly like and it's not like her as a person, but it kind of is also. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, her powers are presented strictly as like a threat, rather than it being like she is being put in this horrible situation. I guess like, and then it's like his kind of his one move is like, but you could also get raped. Is like, <laughs> it's like, it's it's like these powers but, are but a blessing like also and a curse. Like, like a lot of but, men would want to have can't. sex with you. But you can also get raped. Um, yeah, I but, mean, like, she, she also can't. <laughs> she also like is given way more like defensive capability and like combat capability in this set of issues. I feel like, and then I don't know. It's but, like weird. even like even in that one incident where it's like this guy's about to rape you. She's like, no, you're not. Instead, you're going to kill yourself. It's like, it's like, it stops feeling very dangerous. If like, all all you have to do is be like, no, kill yourself instead. And they're (laughs) like, oh, darn. Okay. (laughs) I forgot. Shoot, I meant to drown myself in the toilet. (laughs) One of the worst places to drown yourself. Yeah, I have to agree with that. (laughs) What if she was like, "You're gonna poop, <laughs> and then you're gonna shatter yourself"? Well, now we know if you were the fatal, how you? you oh, it's your power, honey. If I was the fatal, don't even get me started. I would, <laughs> I would be the only person left alive on this earth, <laughs> and unfortunately, that includes you because, as we see, the- family, family members are not immune. <laughs> Yeah, no no relational immunity. Okay. Speaking of the fatale as a like uh, office or like a cosmic position, a let's title, talk yes. about these first two stories which introduce two characters who, in my memory, I was like, these are both Josephine. Nope. But then I got to the end and I was like, No, they're not? Nope, (laughs) they are different people. Like her, uh, they're basically described as like her forebearers. And I guess, so the idea, I think it's, okay, now I'm actually starting to understand as I talk about it, but it's like (laughs) the idea of the, like she is, I think, unique amongst the Fatales in terms of how long she has survived. I think the idea is like, so, you know, we get this fable, really good art, by the way. Um, but in the last issue, we get this fable of this, like, this king who sends out, like, the most beautiful woman in the village in, like, medieval times, who sends out the most beautiful woman in the village to, wake to quote, wake up the dragons, and is then, like, devoured and, like, bra- and, but also, like, hell on earth is still brought about anyways. Um, <laughs> and so I guess, like, the idea is, like, she and the fatal as like a concept i guess or what is she referred to as in the earlier issues the consort the consort yes that like this is like a role within the ritual where the consort is sacrificed to like awaken the demons who then like will feed and that will i guess satisfy them for a period of time is the idea yeah i guess <laughs> But like I think that it's makes so, sense okay. more or less. Yeah, it do, it does seem to be uh, a bit of a like style ritual where it's like we here you go here's one yummy yummy soul and in exchange please don't destroy the world and give us like super demon powers except I don't I guess I don't get why like Bishop and the other people who like worship the demon gods wouldn't just be like come back like destroy the entire world that's what we want. But I guess, like, they don't want to destroy the entire world. They want, like, power. The, the, like, Elder Gods or the, like, Church of the Elder Gods? The Church. The Yellow Cross Gang. Yeah. I think, like, if there's a point of significant confusion for me, it is probably, like, what exactly does the Church want slash what are they trying to achieve in all of this? Because... I can't really piece it together much beyond, like, there is a ritual. I'm not sure what it accomplishes or if it accomplishes anything other than, like, maybe this is basically just, like, an equinox celebration where there's, like, once every so often, like, the well opens up and they, like, can send something through to Cthulhu and company, so they do. Like, maybe that's all it is. But I just am always, like, why why in more detail beyond there is a ritual do they need Josephine? I think I actually understand this. Maybe. I don't know if this is what the book is saying, but I think I do. (laughs) Because they talk about the idea of her being like, she is filled with the pain and like the bloodshed of the people that she has harmed over the course of her life. So I think the idea is that she is like both a like beacon or an attractor and a repository for like this killing and so she it's like by virtue of her existing on the earth she like causes more bloodshed to be perpetrated and then like i guess ostensibly she is like tossed in or sacrificed in some way and they like get all of it so she is like a a vessel right and she's like been marinating extra long yeah i guess yeah she seems she's the tastiest tastiest steak they've ever been served she is a tasty morsel (laughs) for sure And so, yes, that's what I meant by like, it's it's kind of unique that she lived as long as she did, probably. For like, what, 100 years, 150? But like, didn't I got the sense that maybe Black Bonnie lived longer than that? You think? Bambalam? Because because she so she lives from I guess she was probably born in like the 1910s or maybe the implication is she was born in like nineteen oh. no, 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 no. Oh, Josephine. Um, Josephine. Is the the implication that Josephine was born during, like, the San Francisco earthquake when Bishop also was, like, unleashed? I guess, yeah, I guess that is the idea that in the same way that Bishop is reborn, that she is reborn. Well, yeah. Is she a baby? (laughs) I think so, because it seems like they live normal lives until they are, like, given the first ritual that turns them into the fatale. And then it's like, go, go wild until the next time there's a ritual. And then we're going to come get you again. And so what the, this is all like very, it's crazy that like you can read the book and not really understand. (laughs) But so what, what the end, the end of the black Bonnie story is like, they go to California and then it's. When she followed him to the grave a year later, the earth broke open and an entire city burned. And she finally understood the words written in that book. So the idea is she dies in this ritual. Yes. That causes so it would make sense then San Francisco that, like, earthquake. And, and then at that point, Josephine is born. That makes sense to me. And I don't know if we be, like, know whether she like... Is just just like pops up somewhere, or if she is like born as a child, or what exactly? But yeah, I think I think she's born as a child because the bishop like. is born as a child and then like aged up. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I I don't know. I assumed I assumed that all of the consorts were basically born as like normal people until the ritual that to... turns them into the fatale is performed. Oh, interesting. I always thought it was like like there's always a fatal and it's just like you know like when someone dies like the exact second a baby is born somewhere else <laughs> always in the United States of course always um, um, except when it's not uh always at the most prominent western <laughs> nation <laughs> at a given time <laughs> um that then Listen, it's Cthulhu like Lulu loves white flesh the the fatal soul is then like imparted into that given yeah Because doesn't she talk about, like, in the early issue, she talks about basically, like, her normal life before the war. And, like, when we see her being taken to the ritual, she's, like, basically, like, I thought you said we were going to a party. (laughs) She's Lois. Because she's, like, a flapper or something. Sure. (laughs) In the 30s. (laughs) She is. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't remember that, I'll be honest. I just remember that she, like, you know, there's a time where it's, like, she is just sort of, like, living a charmed life, and then she has to escape, and that's where she, like, learns the protection rituals and things like that. Right. Um, but, so, these two, these two Fatales of History stories, do, do you have anything specific you want to say about either one of them? They're both, like, fun-ish standalone stories, um, but don't give, like, a ton of information, um, or, I really or like relate both of them, to, actually. Maybe yeah, more. I like, do as well. I am almost like this is what it should be, and it kind of is that. And then, I, I, like, I think that this chunk of issues, like, he has a much better handle on like what the structure of the book should look like, and it mm-hmm. is almost like I, I almost think that if like there was a version of this that was just one big graphic novel in chronological order. That, that would almost like be better in some ways or like maybe not the exact like this set of issues but this story told in chronological order because I think mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that I find difficult about it is like how confusing it is and the way that like like we said like you know there is a clear plot connection with like the death of Black Bonnie and the San Francisco earthquake but then those are like 10 issues apart. Like we don't, like mm-hmm. we didn't understand that when we read it. And so I feel like it almost is like too satisfied with itself in some ways, or maybe just like <laughs> lends itself to you're reading this every month and then like you read it and then you go on like the Reddit discussion thread and someone is like, I noticed that th- this happened. And then you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. In the same yeah. way, of like a prestige TV series will like sort of have those references and like little ties into everything that will like help you unravel the mystery. Yeah. I, I do think that that is in part like just a comics problem with the monthly serialization. Like the writers, you know, have planned out lots of stuff very far in advance, but a lot of people who are reading the comics are like tuning in once a month basically, and might not even necessarily be like refreshing their memories before they read the next issue a month later. And so it I mean it is like TV like or not not as much like in the era of streaming but it is kind of like prestige TV before like binging really got to be a thing where it was like it might have been like a couple of years since the thing that they're referencing happened which probably feels great for the writers and the fans who notice it but everyone else kind of finds out about it When they like either binge it later or see something like on a forum or something the where someone who is like a super fan has been like, here's like all these dots to connect. Right. And like it is also like there's no like even though they say that this is the most like successful thing that they've done up to this point, um, which surprised me. But it like it's like we were binging it and we didn't mm-hmm. necessarily see or understand or at least I didn't necessarily see or understand everything. Yeah, I I agree that we didn't see or understand everything, but things like um like the owl with the ribbon around the world, that's the kind of thing that like if I was reading this month to month every time it came up it wouldn't make me be like, oh, yeah, that's like before, because it would be like one sentence every like eight issues. Right. (laughs) They would mention like the owl thing. So when they finally got to like the owl fable, I wouldn't be like, finally, the story that has been like referenced this whole time, I would just be like, oh, a story (laughs) like this story, I guess kind of explains. uh, I mean, like it's barely related to the previous thing. Like the idea, like I don't know where like the the ribbon around the world still isn't really explained yeah i uh, see i'm also now <laughs> a little bit further out from having read these than you so the owl has a very funny face we love it we love to see it i did feel like i had a sense of it a bit more after reading the fairy tale Uh, Which I'm going to try and find here. Which issue is that in? It's in the last issue. I will read it to you verbatim. Uh, In the days after the fall of the glittering cities, when men spoke older languages, it was said there was a white owl who flew around the earth every night. He held the end of a ribbon in his beak, and as he flew, he wrapped the ribbon tightly around the world. Some said this was what made the sun rise and the night fall. But others said the L was a god, and it was not man's place to explain the nature of their gods. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically like, screw you! <laughs> not really, I don't think, like, you know, I'm not hostile towards it in that way, but... I mean, basically it's just like, the idea is just like, that there are gods, and like, their whims are beyond your understanding. Which is a funny thing for like, the ultimate conclusion <laughs> of your story to be, is just like... And I, I mean like... I do kind of agree with that notion. Like, I think it, I don't think the book is, would have been better served by like, here's the name of the God and here's his domain. And here's how he does Mm -hmm. his things. Like, I don't think that's the answer, but I do feel like (laughs) it's like kind of crazy to be like, and here at the conclusion of the book, I can say you shouldn't care (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, you're right, but that's not exactly a satisfying narrative conclusion. Yeah, I mean, there's also, like, the knight has the owl as his, like, oh, yes. sigil. Yes. So, and I mean, there's something <laughs> in that. <laughs> that is a classic. <laughs> that's a classic bit of got the runs and Osses, Just like, there was this as well, which could mean something. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, so... Like, the knight's whole role in the story is basically, like, the foolishness and frivolity of trying to, like, stop the inevitable where gods are concerned. So then I'm like, is Josephine the owl in some way? Because she is the, the kind of, like, most mysterious figure in terms of people being, like, some people are like, oh, is she, like, a god? Other people are like, no, she's just a woman, but... Like, no one knows. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and and, like I don't really... Like, the ultimate... Like, the finale of the fable is, like... Mm -hmm. Why do you wake the dragons? Like, you could just not wake them... And that would be fine. And then he says... The king says... The dragons are the truth... And we simply live in their shadow. I will not deny the truth, good knight... And my people would not love me if I did. And then the, the knight says... What you say may be so, but they are not the only truth. What does that mean? And it's like, is this like is this a, also a commentary on like men and women that like it's like or that like it's sort of the idea that like humanity is sort of predisposed towards this like activity and like violence and violence against women? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Like, when I read that part, I'm more like, this is a commentary, like, against nihilism, basically, because, like, the whole, the whole, like, cosmic horror thing is, like, basically, like, there are gods out there that are, like, powerful beyond imagination, but not only do they, like, not care about you, they are, like, actively malicious towards, like, humanity and life generally um or are like so far beyond concepts of like caring or interest that like humanity is basically just there to be like ground to dust beneath them as they like you know go about their business so then the night basically being like but we don't that that doesn't mean that we have to like worship them or like set them loose is to be like even if the universe doesn't care about you, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't like look out for people or like try and keep people safe or something <sighs> along those lines, I guess. I guess but then it's like, it's also like the ultimate conclusion is like death is the ultimate escape uh, <laughs> is like the ultimate conclusion of the comic. And like, I found this, Pretty unsatisfying as a, like, conclusion to the story. I guess, like, that is the, like... I mean, like, but it's like, we already know that the idea is, it's it's, like, oh, like, the happy ending isn't that she's broken free of the curse, it's that she gets to die. It's like, yeah, sure, like, that's not really... But, she only gets to die because she's broken free of the curse. Right. But that's not, like, that's not really an eye-opening moment. Like, that's not, like, a, like, whoa, like she didn't get free and get to live forever as an immortal hot lady. Like, Oh, I didn't, I never really thought that that was what she was, like, trying to do. That's what I'm saying, is that, like, it's not really, like, like, that was always how it was going to end if there was going to be, like, a happy ending to it, but, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but I feel like it presents it as, like, whoa, you know? Like, it it sort of presents, like, the only possible, like, narrative conclusion as, like, this is crazy. There is, like, a a bit of a page turn reveal of, like, she's old now. Yeah. It's, like, cut to Uh, reverse shot, she's old. Yes. I don't know. Like, it frustrates me both in terms of, like, I'm not totally sure what it wants. Like, both because it doesn't do, like, what I feel like it kind of has some like level of obligation to to like explore some of those ideas that we were talking about before and also like it is kind of opaque in terms of what it's like actual motivations are like that's what i mean it's Mm -hmm. like i can't crack him like you know we often look at things in sort of like that auteurist lens so it's like what is he trying to say about what and i can't really solve that And it's like, does he ultimately like just want to make a comic that is like a Cthulhu horror story? (laughs) And it's like, maybe. (laughs) No, I see. I I think the ending, at least the ultimate ending, kind of harkens back to the original pitch, which is like basically what if the femme fatale was like an actual person who had a character and like wants and desires and things like that. And so I, I guess there's an element to it of like, most of the time the noir movie would end like with like Bishop getting thrown down the well. And then we would just see Nick like alone in his like institution being like, I'm catatonic from horror. And it would be like fade to black. And like, we never find out what happened to Josephine. And so the, there's like a subversion of that ending in that, like that we then get the reverse shot and it's like, here's what happened to Josephine. And like, it was that, she finally got to like be normal, which is really all she ever wanted. I get, but it's also like, I feel like the, the narrative doesn't like justify or like, it doesn't really earn that ending because the last arc, especially she increasingly becomes, like I said, like she becomes the secondary character. She is not the protagonist or the hero of the final arc of this it's like nicholas is the main character of this and then she and like she continues to it's like she doesn't reveal everything like her motivations are often opaque and it's like i get that you're doing that to some extent to get the sort of last reveal of her big plan coming to fruition Mm -hmm. but in terms of like the way it's structured, it's like, oh, well, this isn't really her story anymore. It, it is like his story and she is occupying the role of the femme fatale in this story. Like, mm-hmm. so it's not really a subversion at that point. And so I can't be like, well, of course, like it's got to end with her swimming in the ocean. Well, it's like, <laughs> does it like it's kind of. Just been about the guy watching her swim in the ocean more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that some of the genre play of it is that it's like at the end of the day, like as much as it's about like adding depth and nuance, she is still a femme fatale, and so there are like I think especially the last story is very much about like she is she is neither like the the villain who like should hold the responsibility for everything the men around her should do or the all the things that the men around her are doing but she's also not like the the like perfect innocent that they often see her as and she is very much acting in her own interest at the expense of other people in this this last story i guess but like the, i think but i also think that the ultimate message of or like the idea of the book is like she has been given a curse. She like she is a victim here. Like anything she does is justified because she has been given like one of like the most horrible punishments basically that you can have. Mm-hmm. And so like like I don't think we ever reach a point, I guess in the whatever that story is called, the the band story, I guess that is the time when it's like we don't necessarily see her actions as justified. Um, And I think that, you know, the book is more effective for it, but it's almost like I I think it's like in some ways it's he realizes that like her not being the main character makes it a better book. But then it's like you do have to kind of abandon the idea of this being like a subversion of the story about like that, like you subvert it by being like she's the main character and it's about her like trials and tribulations. And it does just become like. It's less about what if the femme fatale was a real person in terms of like what if she had internality and like character to her and more about like how horrible would it be for like the world (laughs) if the femme fatale was a real person and like men were irresistibly drawn to her and it becomes more about the men and the way that they sort of relate to her and it's like I think that it's a better book for it but it's also like you can't really Like, it then becomes, like, there's not much, I don't think, of, like, a feminist read on this, which is sort of what my initial complaint was with the first batch of books. And so it's, like, this is a better book, but it's also, like, you're kind of abandoning your, like, the subversion of it, which is, like, sure, that's what you want to do. But I feel like I'm constantly being sold this idea of, like, you know, I ostensibly that it's feminist or that it is like that it sort of would invite a feminist reading. And I don't think that's really true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I am curious like about, about whether that like that was an aspiration for him, but it's like, how can, how can you want to make this book and not have that be an aspiration? Like, yeah. You, are you just like completely blind to like, like, is he married? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I truly feel like it Like, didn't occur to him <laughs> that, like, women <laughs> are like <light> people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that part of the, like, riddle of this is that the book is a lot longer than it was originally planned to be. It was originally going to be I think like 12 or 15 issues and they just kept like making it longer and longer. And so I do wonder if some of that, the like lack of fleshing out is a consequence of that because basically like it was supposed to be a lot more vague and it was supposed to be a lot more like evoking a vibe than spending like a lot of time on some of these questions. And then as it got longer and longer, it wasn't because it was like creating room to sit with those questions. It was because it was like adding more story, basically. But then you end with having like so much story that feels like it invites some of the more, you know, in-depth consideration of those themes uh, or like, you know, incorporation of them. But they're just not really there because he's still working off of a framework that was originally planned for a story half this length yeah I mean I guess it does it does kind of make sense if you just take the last five issues and put them on the end of the first 10 mm-hmm. or 11 like that does sort of make sense as a cohesive narrative but it's yeah it's just like it feels like he you know I shouldn't say that there's like no feminist read on it because like there has to be <laughs> but that it's but it's like it feels like he he is like I have a story to tell about like the way that men are and he, and then it's like, it, the like the foot is like, well, like if men are this, if, if men walk like this, <laughs> then like, what does a woman walk like? And then like his answer is just like, I don't know. I'm not a woman. And it's like, then why? <laughs> that like, he, do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like his perspective, like he has like, you know a feminist take more or less but it's like a feminist take that only considers the perspective of men and like i guess it's not even you could call it feminist but i guess just more like a like a realist take on how men behave and how men would behave when presented with the situation Mm -hmm. i guess like in a way that once again evokes media of like the fifties and sixties. Um, and, and in a similar way to like the issue that we encountered with professor Smith, Smythe, Smythe, professor Smith. Um, I believe it is. It's like, it's like there, there is a feminist reading. There is like, there's a queer reading, But it's subtext and it feels like given like when this book came out, given it's like kind of stated like raison d'etre, like given the subject matter that it covers, it's like it feels like those things should just be text or or at least like not as subtext as they are. Like it doesn't feel like the reader should have to do this much legwork to like find a queer reading or to find a feminist reading, but they do. (laughs) It's like, you know, like, I feel like that, like, that's kind of what I expected the book to be, because, like, as I think I've sort of imparted already, it's like, how is it not that? It's <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it is like kind of confusing in some way that like it that uh, you could make a book about this and not have it be what that is. I guess also because I guess like the sort of not to invoke a term I know many people hate, but like the elevated horror of the last like 10 years or so, I feel like has dug into that idea so much with like under the skin and it follows and other things like that, Mm -hmm. that I feel like there is some expectation at this point for there to be an exploration of that. And like, you know, I, I don't even, I wouldn't even be as charitable (laughs) as like what you just said. (laughs) I feel like you go digging for it and then it's, you're like, you're like, let me pull these rocks away. <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, there's <laughs> nothing here. Like, why is there nothing here? This makes no sense. But, like, it is just ultimately like, I truly just have to think that he didn't think about it. Or, like, but, 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 but that was not a consideration of his when making this comic, which is just, mm-hmm. it just seems crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> like,. <laughs> It baffles, am I right? It does. Um, it boggles. There it goes. That's, That's what I was looking for. <laughs> um, yeah, it is It is like interesting that, I mean, maybe it makes sense in a way too, that he was like, I'm going to play with like this trope and I feel like the logical or at least like maybe the natural place to go when you're like, I'm going to play with this trope is to be like, what does the the like – commonality or the frequency with which this trope appears say about like the genre that it appears in or the people who like consume this kind of media or make this kind of media or what have you like it invites a more sort of like broad social commentary but instead it feels like his instinct at every turn is to be like, no, this isn't about social commentary. This is about like an individual person named Josephine. And like, so I'm going to focus only on like, you know, Josephine's life, Josephine's considerations, et cetera, et cetera, without considering really at all, like what, what like Josephine in contrast to, or in like uh comparison to The femme fatale trope says about society. I'm not interested in that. I'm just interested, literally, like in the most tunnel visioned way possible in the original pitch, which is like, what if the femme fatale was a real person, and I do mean a like single individual (laughs) person. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think I agree with that actually because I I think one of the things that I like about the one off issues is like oh. I think that, you know, and maybe, maybe again, like this is me trying to like carve a reed out of this like <laughs> polished marble. Um, but then it's like, Oh, like men will always find a way to torture women and like a reason to torture women. And they will like blame women. It's like that, that women are at fault for like creating desire in men, which I think is a very like classic tried and true thing that has, been felt throughout the years and is still being felt today in a lot of ways but that like just like the idea of like the woman is the temptress for the man when in fact it is like the man who you know is the creating these desires or like is the source of these desires and this like behavior i just feel like his take is just solely motivated by like the way that he perceives men like he 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 had something to say about the way that men are, and I guess by extension to some extent, like, the way mankind is in, like, a (laughs) global sense. Like, I think his sort of idea is that, like, it's about, like, the sort of human predisposition to violence and things like that. And so I think he does have takes on that, but he just has takes on men. (laughs) Like... (laughs) He just has takes on, like, the way men respond to a woman. And then it's, like, when he's actually tasked with, like, writing a woman or, like, presenting a woman's thoughts or feelings, it is mostly just, like, I sure wish I didn't have this curse. Like, there isn't really an exploration of, like, how does a woman feel about, like, being blamed and being the object of desire in this way and sort of feeling like, And like I said, like, there is no exploration of, like, what impact it would have on her sexuality. Like, how does a woman feel about, like, being an object of desire in, like, a predatory way? (laughs) I mean, I think it does address those things but the like conclusion it reaches very quickly is basically just like pretty tired <laughs> <laughs> sure she's over it <laughs> i guess so. uh, I, and it's, i like I, I, it is just it doesn't feel like it ever go, just goes beyond like it's bad but then it's yeah. like but and then like it does have some suggestion of like well why does she keep like having normal sex then and like there is some something to probe there but it's like where's the probing well but again i think uh (laughs) i think that that just like then immediately comes back to him being like oh she's a real person like she's allowed to have sex for her own pleasure like that's the like I, i don't think that he's thinking about it in terms of like how would all this like constant sexualization affect your sexuality i think he's thinking about it in terms of like for the femme fatale the focus is always on like what the men want but what does she want she is allowed to also like want people in a normal way which doesn't necessarily leave a lot on the table for then like i guess yeah getting getting into some of those questions that you are talking about yeah and i guess like it's just more like she's allowed to like desire people but it's like we never see her struggle or reckon with that it's just like yeah she does like we assume she does because we see her behavior but we never really find out how she feels about any of this other than Mm -hmm. and like that's what i mean is like it is just even in the moments when it's trying to like be feminist or trying to like have that exploration like i feel like it just can't help but default back like why is why is Black, like, Black Bonnie can't shoot a gun? (laughs) And, like, the whole thing is about how, like, she finds men to protect her. And that's, like, her, that's her superpower. Like, she can't be good at shooting the gun. She has to, like, her power is she can make men shoot for her. And, like, that just, I feel like that is, like, the pervasive feeling of the book is just, like, it never really gives a thought to the idea of, like, Female competency in any way, like it is just more about like how how a helpless woman affects a competent man. Right, Black Bonnie we see as a child. So there you go. So there. <laughs> <laughs> Monster um, W. I also think that part of the problem of this is that there are not very many other women in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some. But I think that their role, like, so we have, like, Hank Raines' wife, whose role is basically to find Ooh. Josephine's lipstick on his collar and be like, A-ha-ha-ha. and then in the band arc, yes. we have this is an interesting Darcy, character. is that her name? Um. Also, did you, this I is, believe her name is Darcy. That's right. Did you notice that there's one part where they call her Joe in the the band arc when like they're not supposed to know that that's her name. No, but that's funny. I, I don't know that for sure. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to try and find it. But go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so we have Darcy, whose role is like kind of the same, but like, you know, manifests differently because, you know, blah, blah, blah. All of the different circumstances. But it seems <laughs> like other women are mostly there to like cross their arms and like frown at <laughs> Joe, basically. Yeah, I. Oh, in fact, I just found the exact <laughs> panel or she's that crossing sums arms up, and frowning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what I was envisioning. And it's a real panel. Yeah, I mean. I, I kind of feel of two minds about it because, like, I think that that's like an in, it's an interesting situation to be in, like to sort of see like, to be like the outsider or like to be the one person because we mm-hmm. like, you're not affected. Yeah. Because we see so few women. And so, and also like to be the one person who's not affected and also not because the other two people we see who aren't affected or three people, I guess, are like the professor and milk fed who are like her stalwart protectors for no reason. And Otto, who is her stalwart protector for no reason. like, the characters well, that- Otto's Otto's her stalwart protector because he's Milkfed's grandson, right? But like the character, like the characters we usually see who are like not affected, usually are just like, "But I'll protect you anyways because I'm nice." <laughs> um, yeah. Hashtag not all men. <laughs> and so it is interesting to see a character portrayed in that way where she is in the position to be like this is horrible (laughs) like this is horrific that this is happening and no one else sees this but me yeah i get like i want more horror from that i guess like it feels like like she should i mean and i guess she is but her i feel like i want more focus on her and it to just be her like getting gaslit 24 7 because she's like the only one who's not being gaslit by (laughs) Josephine, basically. Um, Like, like, I guess what I really want out of that, if like, you're going to focus and I guess she's not the focus, but I, I think it would be good to have a story where, instead of having, like, the man who is in love with Josephine as the main character, you had a woman as the main character where Josephine kind of, like, enters her sphere right. via a man and put her a bit more in the main character Definitely. position. And then it lets you kind of get into another genre of horror with, like, the paranoid, like, thriller of her being, like, why am I the only person who seems to, like, notice how messed up this is right um, until things boil over? Like, I think that is probably what this comic is wanting for in terms of accessing some of those feminist questions is to basically like center a woman who's not Josephine in one of these stories opens a lot of doors that it just never really cares to, uh, with the stories that we do have. Yeah. And it's like the character of Darcy, like the way she is framed is like as antagonistic towards everyone. And so like that kind of like shuts down a lot of the idea of like, and I, I think that, I do think that there's some intentionality behind that. Like, I don't think they, like, she's framed that way for no reason. Like, I think there is some level of commentary about how her as the voice of reason appears like the nag from within the mm-hmm. situation. But then the one, the sort of introduction and POV, the one time we see Darcy's POV, it's like, so I'll basically just read all of it, is the house is different since jane arrived darcy thinks everything feels off like the shadows are deeper and the drafts are colder and don't even get her started on the way the guys act around this chick i mean what is she 30 gross like she (laughs) is given this perspective which is like flawed and in in a way as well which i guess like that's what you want to some extent like you want to have a flawed character you want to have a character with dimensionality to it but like i don't know I think you're absolutely right that framing it in that way invites a lot more like it creates a lot of new avenues for the character and for the book in terms of like how we're presented with this situation. And I truly think that it's like, that wasn't, it wasn't within his power to write that. And that if he had written that, it would have been really bad, like disastrously bad. And so I think like it is like, I mean, like it feels a little wonky to be like, well, the, the solution for this is that he never should have written this and a woman should have written it. <laughs> but I do kind of feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like I would have said... Because I think, like, I think there is some interest in the way that he presents a male perspective, and I think that that's valuable as well in a way. But I think ultimately, like, he just, there is, like, some part that he cannot tap into, which I think, like... You just need a female writer to understand that. Hmm. Yeah. I like it's, it is funny because like I wouldn't have said slash like still wouldn't say that struck like writing women is something that he struggles with generally. No. Although it's true that like as protagonists in terms of what we've covered so far, he steers clear and other than Friday, which I have only read a little bit of, I can't think of another book of his that has a woman as the protagonist I'm thinking, Oh velvet, obviously, which we'll talk about when we get to, but, um, but it does, I guess, I guess it's probably just like the extent to which like gender and sexuality are what this book should really like be about. Yeah. (laughs) That it's like a, you know, if, if writing women is not one of his like strongest skills, then it's almost just like, then maybe you shouldn't write a book that is like, screaming to have like a woman as a perspective character (laughs) yeah it just it i think basically that's exactly right is that like it is a book that should be about gender and sexuality and like i think that he is just kind of blinded in some way by wanting by like having it be rooted in genre and wanting to write in service to genre which like he's awesome at and you know like this, the genre stuff in this is really great, I think. Mm-hmm. But like you said, like, it's just not... I don't know. I don't know if it's an, it's not what the book needs or if it's just like... It's hard to say because like it's like you... I guess you can't really make a version of this that's not like... About what it's about, you know? Like, you can't just yeah. make the male version of this. Like, that's like... That's almost worse. <laughs> Or, like, you know, the version that is, like, doesn't really interrogate the idea of this, like, femme fatale being a character. But it's, like, that is maybe a better, like, a better comic where it is more just about, like, the existence of this femme fatale character and the way that men react to her and the way that she is, like, a tragic figure. And almost, Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) divorcing her of some agency Makes it and just make it a pure genre entry would make it more successful, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do think that similarly to Incognito, this one is kind of handcuffed by the desire to like capture the vibe, capture the feel, etc., and to do so in a way that like is critical in some ways because it is intended to be a deconstruction of the femme fatale. But I think like what I was saying before with, like, kind of kind of capturing that sense of, like, you know, code era comics and cinema where it's, like, sexuality of any kind is presented as, like, so lurid, et cetera. Like, the desire to uncritically capture that kind of, like, spirit, that vibe, that feel makes it just, like, a little bit more difficult to engage with because... Like uh, it's it's yeah, I, it's it's just a similar issue I had with Cognito Incognito where I was like, this is successful at capturing the vibe. But it's a, a vibe that is like so out of touch with like modern sensibilities that like in some ways it does a better job of illustrating why like no one makes stuff like this anymore than it does at like effectively kind of deconstructing it or commenting on it or or wielding the vibe to like a higher thematic or aesthetic purpose. Yeah, I do feel like, I, I I think that ultimately, like he's not as interested in deconstruction. And in, in this instance, at least, like he's not as interested in deconstruction as like he thinks he is. Like, it seems like he's sort of trying to serve two masters in terms of one side is, it's a deconstruction of the femme fatale character and that trope within Noir. And then the other is like, the marriage between noir and horror and like, you know, Lovecraftian horror and pulp horror in that way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he's more interested in that than he is in any kind of like deconstructionist tendency to it. Like he's more Mm -hmm. interested in creating like a weird genre mashup where it's like modern day, but it's also noir, but it's also horror. And like that ultimately, like, it's like, I mean, maybe I just feel that way because that's like what I consider to be like the good stuff. Right. And I also feel like, you know, I also think that some of the best issues are the historical issues. And part of me was like, this is what the book should be. And I think that is probably where he is most successful in terms of writing a character, like in terms of writing the woman as the central character. I think that those succeed the most. And I think that a big part of that is just like, we're being put into a new situation with new circumstances and we're sort of having to like find our way in the same way that she is having to find her way. And also just, you know, the sort of overall hostility of the world, I guess makes a little more sense in that context. Although, you know, noir, I think also it makes sense in that context as well. But I almost was like, this should just be like, pictures in history of the femme fatale and maybe over the course of history you're sort of unveiling pieces of the story and we don't even understand the idea that it is like this woman is being hunted in this way by demons and then it's like and then at the end you have the five issue arc where it's like we're in present day now and she is trying to like put an end to this mm-hmm yeah I do wonder if like those ones work a bit better because it's like kind of easier for him to I guess sort of like highlight like the dangers of being a woman in a time where I don't know like in the, in the same way that <laughs> for some people it's like easier to identify what racism looked like like pre-civil right. rights yeah, movement absolutely it's like easier for him to identify what like like sexism basically looked like, or like patriarchal pre, like, society. First, yeah, yeah, exactly. In in like extremely patriarchal societies where women's rights were like effectively non-existent, right? And I, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point as well because I feel like that is you know the that dimension is what we've been talking about as the area where he struggles because it's like. He like he struggles the more agency you give to the woman, the more (laughs) he struggles with it. It feels like because like he can't really figure out like what the woman wants or like how she would react or like what decisions she would make when presented with agency. He's more inclined to like. Basically be like a woman is put into this situation, which is like very restrictive and then has to find her way out, which is something we've talked about a billion times in terms of like putting restrictions being more (laughs) conducive Mm -hmm. to good story than like a blank, a blank page. Yeah. Yeah. And, but like at the same time though, I'm then like, but it seems like as we've kind of said, he's like so close that I'm like, but so like how could you not how could you not be able to do the same thing with the present day stories when it feels like based on what he does choose to like highlight talk about introduce it's like it doesn't seem like it's that he like doesn't understand how patriarchy works in the twenty first century, no, but he doesn't understand women. That's what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> the, I genuinely unironically think that that is like what it is. Like he like he understands that the that society is oppressive towards women, but he doesn't understand how women feel about that or like how a other woman than bad. yeah, other than bad. And it's, like, in, in medieval times, it's, like, well, of course it's bad. Like, you're going to get burned at the stake. But then it's, like, in yeah. a situation where it's, like, I see that this is bad, but also, like, she is free to do whatever she wants, so what will she do? He is then just, like, I don't know. <laughs> kind of. That's not totally yeah, true. I, but I do think I, it I, is, like, he fundamentally just does not have the ability to, like, put himself hip himself in the shoes of that character, because like right. there is she has too much freedom. Yeah, I I feel like where I am ultimately landing is that it's not that he doesn't like have the capability or the insight so much as it is that he's not interested in telling a story that is like fundamentally That's about gender well. yeah. or the experience of gender. And so It's almost like a self-correction where, like, when he is feeling naturally, like, thematically drawn to those things, he's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, this isn't what this story is about. I don't want to write about that. I want to write about this. It's like, like, how do you write a story that's about, like, the impact of a patriarchal society and, like, the meaning of a patriarchal society? And also be like, this isn't about the differences between men and women <laughs> well again i think it comes back to like it is about the differences between men and women but he is like about not one woman. yeah and and he is more interested in writing about like what evil lurks in the heart of men yes. specifically yes. and like it's not that he is unable to also like consider those those questions or those themes for women but that he is ultimately interested in telling a story about Yay. different things in my opinion i think that either either he just ultimately doesn't know which is fine <laughs> um, or <laughs> he like felt uncomfortable writing like what evil lurks in the hearts of women <laughs> and like i think he has trouble Well, that's not even totally true because he does manage to do it sometimes. Like, I think he has trouble presenting the complexity of the character. And it's like the story kind of naturally creates complexity because it is like, like we said, like the sort of inherent premise is that it's like this blessing and this curse Mm -hmm. simultaneously. Well, and like it, it frequently puts her in positions where like she has to consciously like... Act in self-interest yeah or and it puts her in positions of power or... and in positions of weakness but it oh, like I guess ultimately it's like we never we don't know what she thinks about that which I think is like where he stays away from is like we don't know what good or evil ultimately like lurks in the heart of Josephine we only really know that she wants the curse to end which I guess is like ultimately an altruistic motivation Because she's like, I can't keep hurting these men. (laughs) They're so great. (laughs) And he has more ability to present like complexity and moral conflictedness and moral gray in a man. Yeah, I do think that again, that like the genre stuff kind of gets in the way a little bit here because it's like, she's not just like a woman. She's also like. supernatural force with like you know a functional immortality where like considering questions of like good and evil if she was like a, a mortal woman who had this curse or like you know there there was just like a little bit more like normalcy in her life would be easier to do but with her because of her like you know wild experiences and like supernatural position, et cetera et cetera. It's like, oh, what does Josephine like think about what good and evil are? It's like, well, she like has had to like participate in like these like death rituals and has lived like forever and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think that she basically like doesn't really have any opinion about <laughs> what is good and evil and like the only good she's interested in at this point is like her own freedom. <laughs> but that's not totally true. Like I know it's, like, it's she, not. like she she does ultimately like I have a heart for these men. <laughs> it's like ultimately <laughs> what she feels. Yeah. I mean I think I think as well that because of the genre stuff when the book does take time to like inhabit the perspectives of different characters, it's usually not to be like what do I think about good and evil? It's to be like there's actually something scary out there. Right. <laughs> and it has tentacles. Right. Um, like, it's the, the, when they go into like different characters' perspectives, it's usually to like convey the unease or the dread or the like outright horror at the horror elements than it is to be reflective about some of the themes of like the actual book, which this one has. So, no one can take that away from it. And it has themes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good for it, for sure. Um, and it's funny because, like, I mean, obviously we've spoken quite, quite critically about some of the ways that it has failed, perhaps, to explore those themes. But as I said at the top, like, as a genre exercise, like, it's pretty immaculate. <laughs> like, I, it's a really good comic. <laughs> I think that is, like, what makes it most frustrating for me is that, like... This, like, when it's on, it's on. And, like, I think it, like, that's sort of what I mean when I'm, like, it should just not, it shouldn't even try to, like, <laughs> pretend that it can, has anything to say about women. And it should just be, right. like, a noir in which a femme fatale exists. Right. Like, it shouldn't be about the trope of the femme fatale. It should just be, like, I had this idea for an immortal woman who is going to, like, have noir situations across the 20th century right and then like there's one issue where it's like when you think about it this is actually very tragic yeah (laughs) it's like oh i guess you're right (laughs) wow he's so insightful (laughs) um i want to talk about the world war ii issue briefly it's so beautiful the art is so good this one i feel like is better at Doing like a pulp pastiche thing than the entirety of Incognito. Yeah, I think that's true. It's got it all. She's got an Indiana Jones jacket on. There's Nazi like, occultism. Yeah, Nazi demons. What? So Nazi occultism. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? Do, what do we know about this? <laughs> well, it's like Hitler was into it, right? Was Was he actually though, or is that I just like really a thing read. that? Not. Or not even just like like I think that there is something historically true about Nazi occultism but I'm like was it that Hitler was actually into it or is there like one questionable source that is like actually Hitler was also very into like occult stuff and then every like writer since 1939 has been like whoa Hitler was into occult stuff what if the Nazis (laughs) furious typing sounds right um I'm reading on Wikipedia our only source of research (laughs) Historian Nicholas Goodrick Clark analyzed the topic in his 1985 book, The Occult Roots of Nazism, but he evaluated most of the 1960 to 1975 books on Nazi occultism as sensational and under-researched. <laughs> I guess the idea is that, like, Shocker. the <laughs> the like the wisdom of the Aryans, is like sure. linked to occultism, and so that there's like, you know... A link blink there. Like, like that the Aryan is like a mythic figure in some way. I guess I don't, you know, I don't want to dig into this at this time. (laughs) It just like that Nazi occultism. It feels like you can't do pulp without Nazi occultism in some ways. And like, obviously Indiana Jones has like a huge dash of that. And comics also love to kind of like flirt with that stuff where like, like, I see there's a reference to Hellboy in here. He was, of course, summoned via, like, a Nazi occult ritual that was performed by Rasputin. Hellboy is the greatest comic ever made. Um, <laughs> uh, Wikipedia cool. also says that his interest in those subjects was fleeting and there's no evidence he ever subscribed to any of these schools of thought being occultism, hypnotism, and astrology. Right. Like, so, like, yeah, because they make reference at one point to, to the spear of destiny in the comic which i feel like that is a thing that comes time, up yes. a lot yeah oh there's a book called the spear of destiny written by trevor ravenscroft right a relative perhaps of alfred a certain other notable ravenscroft that we know perhaps um yeah isn't there a dnd realm called ravenscroft too or Ravenloft? i think Ravenloft has a city maybe at any rate, <laughs> we're getting far afield here. It is a realm. It's a campaign setting. Uh, yes, it, a genius. It, of course, exists in an alternate time space known as a pocket dimension or demiplane called the demiplane of dread. Mm, of course. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I, it is maybe probably more tapping into, like, pulp renditions of Nazi occultism than it is any <laughs> historical truth, which is. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is d- the way to go. Yeah, I have a zero uh, <laughs> thought that like there was any any like historical Nazi occultism informing this depiction. I was more so just sort of like Nazi occultism. People are all about this. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's a it's a fun Everyone's idea. And I think it also like it is a very like imagination provoking idea. Yeah. to be Like and it also- magic Nazis. <laughs> it's really good. And I think it like links into the like conception of Nazis that they, you know, like I talk a lot about the like old conservative who like is really into world war two, because that was like the last time when there was a <laughs> clear good side and evil side. And so I feel mm-hmm. like the conception of Nazis as like the platonic also human being evil, like cultists. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And the idea that it's like, they are like the human personification of evil in like the modern age that that lends itself well to being like, well, they're actually linked to like the primordial conception of evil as well. Yeah. And like, look, they were trying to steal Jesus's special spirit. They were trying to beat up (laughs) Jesus. Uh, (laughs) So, Oh, very unrelated, yes. So many starbursts that you pointed out last episode, muzzle flash starbursts. Oh, oh, yeah, like sometimes yeah. two in the same panel obscuring the gun. Yeah, I mean, it's he does it, he does it every time there is like a gunshot, which it, like is good. Like, I love it, it's like his go to thing. Um, but it's the kind of thing that like once you notice it, like. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. It depends, though. Like, his his style shifts around a bit. And I felt like in the Seattle story, Pray for Rain, I believe it's called. Wow. Uh, yes. I felt like in the Seattle story, he was doing a much kind of, like, sketchier style where the, like, gun boom effect things, like, actually fit quite well. But, like, if you compare that f- with, for example, like, like, I have the the world war ii issue open right now like if you compare that with like the first panel that i'm about to send you of walt like lighting his cigarette like if he had done like a gun boom around like the match lighting or something you'd be like what a weird like effect to have on this like (laughs) lush beautiful art right (laughs) uh Speaking of he is, pray for rain. are you about to say speaking of art? Oh, speaking of pray for rain. I was going to say that he is going absolutely ham in the arts yes. on this, especially in the last arc. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, like the last arc is really when it's like really showy. The, the last arc is when he basically Baker is like, go, go wild. <laughs> yeah. It's like I have written some narration here and you can choose what to draw. Although I will also say, like, to his, I guess, like, kind of credit vis-a-vis the going wild, there were, like, some process pages again in the back of this. And I mentioned that, like, he often will rework, like, the suggested panel layout. So with this book, they had basically, I think it is basically, like, right after this ends that they get their exclusive deal. Yes. There's an announcement for it in one of the last issues. Yeah. Yeah. So they had decided at this point, like after changing the plan for how long it was going to be as a series, like eight times, they were like, basically, we're just going to go as long as it takes. And then that like basically broke Brubaker's brain. He like writes about where he was like, I thought comics like always had to have like these nice like three to six arc structures. And when we decided to just like go as long as we wanted, because that's what you can do when you own the comic. Like, it completely reconceptualized, like, how I was thinking about the story. And so then he also was like, they also don't have to be 22 pages. So, like, if we go longer, and they do in several of these issues, like, that's fine. So then the script pages where he is writing, like, that cosmic sex sequence that is one of the parts where it goes, like, truly ham, that's supposed to be, like one and a half pages and then phillips's breakdown is like halfway through page one he has it like scratched out and is like page like three <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, he he like really stretched that scene out because he was basically like if we're gonna do this i'm gonna make it like extremely psychedelic and like it's gonna take up huge swaths of space and i'm gonna do double page spreads for like every single page so that that part at least I'm sure he, like, got the got the green light from Brubaker to, like, flex his muscles a bit there. But um, he definitely, like, makes that sequence his own. And also is, like, weirdly one of the only times that the book lets itself be, like, sexy also. Because it seems like, you know, like, primarily it is interested in, like, lust and, like, desire and the nature of like sort of like lust being the cousin of violence in a way right and where's yeah. this like it, it almost like allows itself to like be sexual more but then also like there is like a lot of craziness to it as well there is a lot of craziness i mean it starts and then he is floating on a rock looking at his cosmic self in the stars, and they're like making eye contact with each other, and they're both like, What's this? Going crazy? There's also the zipper vagina full of demons. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, the old dentata, sure. Although, I guess those are more like sword blades, yeah, needle. Um, and then this is also the scene where we find out that <laughs> her son killed oh, himself yeah. due to horniness. A bit of a proto-incel. Incelsed. Yeah. True. <laughs> so true. <laughs> okay, sorry. You were gonna say something about Pray for Rain. Um, you've seen How I Met Your Mother, right? I have. It's so crazy that the season one finale is predicated on the idea of Ted Mosby doing a rain dance. (laughs) Um, That part is gone from my mind. The whole episode is like, it's like, Robin, (laughs) this is getting inside baseball, skip ahead like three minutes, listeners. Um, Unless you're a huge uh, high-mim head. Sure. It's like... Robin is, like, going on a camping trip where she is going to hook up with the other news anchor for no reason because he is, like, objectively terrible. And so Ted is like, Barney, get your old girlfriend who is, like, a native studies major and she will teach me a rain dance so that I can make it rain so that the, like, camping trip will not take place. And then, like, the big romantic moment is just that, like... Ted spends the whole day on top of the roof of the apartment doing a rain dance. And then, like, it finally rains. And then, like, there is, like, an admittedly strangely effective moment where he, like, goes to her apartment and is like, I made it rain, like i did it and then they like strangely kiss. effective is like <laughs> the, your mother every, brain. every like yeah every like non-comedic moment on how i met your mother is best described as strangely effective like this shouldn't cause me to feel anything but it does <laughs> we're like pretty early into season two we are really enjoying i was it. gonna say it sounds like you are on a recent rewatch first watch first watch yeah. I'll be thrilled to hear your thoughts on the <laughs> well, f- I, controversial I final it season ends. and what's more the controversial finale I do know the finale Yeah just also like so emblematic of that show that it would be like well Barney can't have dated an indigenous woman. And who would we hire to play her? <laughs> yeah. We better get a native studies major. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. As you have correctly assumed a white native <laughs> studies major. And like, there is a joke that of is like, it is. she's never actually seen a rain dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I'm also like, would it really be better if they had no. like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine having to accept that paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> those residuals. Uh, those residuals. <sighs> Anyways, <sighs> truly. Anyways, Marcel closes and our uh, our Heim im uh, <laughs> Welcome back, dear listeners. Uh, you were going to say something about <laughs> pray for rain. No, that's which what is, I was. Of course, what Ted most. That's what <laughs> that's you what were going to say. Gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> oh that Ted Mosby in a sense prayed for it. Yeah, when you said well, prayed, for it, I was like, man, that's super crazy that they did that. <laughs> um did I already talk about how I like can't unsee the Mike Mignola comparison in Sean Phillips art now that I made it, even though I don't think it like is perfect. I do think... You didn't talk about that in this episode, no. But I do... I see I what you oh, oh, mean. Oh, like, but I talked about it in the last yes, one. Yes, you did. And I do see what you mean. And I feel like I kind of had that feeling as well, even not knowing that much of his artwork. I wonder if he is being, like, deliberately evocative. Because but of that the that seems like a wild thing to do... Yeah, basically. And, like, the demonicness of and, it. And, like, the horror and the, like, I'm working with Dave Stewart, although Dave Stewart is not the uh, the colorist who finishes us out. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to, like, go back and look at some of his earlier stuff and then also look at some of the, like, early Mignola stuff that I'm thinking of, but I think I might be an art genius. I might have cracked the code. Wow, we finally understand art. Um, wow. We've come a long way. Maybe. <laughs> maybe (laughs) Maybe. you've come a long way maybe is funny (laughs) anything else before we no i was just about to go and see what what our awards situation is like here i think that because we are in the saga years that we do not see anything further for fatale wins Uh, or nominations did we already talk about all the nominations in 2013 Yes. Because that's, yeah, that's where it gets, like, all the nominations. I don't think it gets anything in 2014. I will just double-check that for us. Of course, Dave Stewart wins Best Which Colorist. Is like, yeah. I mean, we've already talked about how the Eisners certainly reward novelty, even in the awards that ostensibly have no reason to do so. But another instance where I'm like, how yeah just like how does how does the first two arcs get the like best continuing series nod but pray for rain doesn't secure like a repeat nomination yeah yeah a lot of that's that's wild to me like pray for rain is the best story in the book by like a pretty wide margin for my money correct? yeah uh, a lot of Matt fraction hawkeye and sex criminals both get nominated for continuing series um and then Saga wins stuff also. The Oatmeal, of course, wins best webcomic. <laughs> being so epic about Tesla. Famously. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, Darwin Cook wins an adaptation award. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about it, I'm sure. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I'm just thinking about how Nazi occultism should have been one of the essays that they had in the back. Matter. Oh, that's also what I was going to talk about. Is like, it's very telling that the essays are about like they're about horror <laughs> like horror yeah they're, and they're not about like women <laughs> okay. or like even the role of women in horror at all like no they. so we get here's it here's the list of what the essays are about hp lovecraft and the horror of the unseen edgar Allan poe reality is a grotesque deception dan j marlowe echoes of a hard-boiled past the real philip marlowe Horror and mystery fiction, part one: <laughs> The Castle of Otranto. Oh no! Tr- oh yeah, Atranto to De Grandin. I don't know what De Grandin is, but I know what the Castle of Otranto is. Um, Horror Roma. and mystery fiction, part two: The Devil Inside Me: Colon Devil Pulp, The Lonely Doll. So that one probably is about women, and that one is by Megan Abbott, who wrote the foreword to the first volume, which contained more consideration of feminism <laughs> than I think anything in the book. So I'm probably going to go try and find, I've got that issue somewhere. So I'm going to try and find that and read that essay. Strange stories. Alistair Crowley, 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 Crowley. Crowley, Cthulhu lives on the afterlife of HP Lovecraft, cults in fiction and leaping the fence, colon, fallen heroes and redeemed villains. So one essay that I presume from the title is about women (laughs) i would say probably like eight that are about horror in one way or another and then like three or four that are about like noir or pulp yeah cool so yeah it does it does yeah it's (laughs) if you're looking for a like 30 second summary of what we just talked about for an hour and a half <laughs> you can read the list of essays and draw your conclusions about where the interests lay regarding the stories which i don't know maybe we're penalizing it for not being something that it's not trying to be but then i'm also like but i think it is trying to be that it just doesn't realize that it's trying to be that right i think yeah it feels strange especially given like what we are often inclined to do, like, to sort of remove, like, authorial intent from an author but it does, all. I mean, like and then part of me is like, well, he must have, like, thought about it and, but then it's like, how do you think about it and then do nothing? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I mean I would, I'm, I'm not usually inclined to remove authorial intent but I do think that as I have, like, made reference to a couple of times this is, like, the kind of media for which like the death of the like that that spawned death of the author, because it basically was like, just because Ed Brubaker doesn't think that this comic has anything to say about women and sexuality doesn't mean that it doesn't have anything to say about women and sexuality, which I think that it does. And some of what it has to say, it says through silence, (laughs) right? Exactly. I think that's like, more than the death of the author, I kind of subscribe to the idea that it's like, not talking about something is talking about it in a way uh at any rate i think that we'll have to do it for this week thank you all and i just want to reiterate love this comic (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i loved it i like i said i found it very frustrating but yeah i think it is a well-made comic at the very at the bare minimum and i definitely enjoyed issues and arcs and stuff thank you all for listening please remember to rate, subscribe, etc. wherever you get your podcasts, give us two stars. Um got the runs pod on Twitter, got the runs pod at gmail.com. Listen to high floor low ceiling. Play Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 with David. He's always looking for party members. Uh, always. Have you played the new mode? <laughs> like the new they just launched like the new Warzone stuff. No. So they've added this. <laughs> First of all, you need to know that they've added a mode called unhinged trios. <laughs> uh-huh. But a bunch of the modes now have proximity chat where the goal is that like you can like broker pieces with other squads and team Whoa. up. Yeah, it's wild. And they have another mode where you can like actually formally like Merge your squads for a while, and then you're like not able to kill each other. I don't think that is the case in <laughs> all of the modes, though. Like, there's some where it's literally just like you have to use the proximity chat to like be like, let's team up for a little while. <laughs> that's us Did you know that in the original Modern Warfare, there's like an infamous perk that is like you can hear your you can hear. Him? Oh. No, oh, that's a perk. I knew I knew that that it was a feature that like. You briefly get the, like, voiceover from the other person. Yeah, eavesdrop. (laughs) Hear nearby enemies voice chat. (laughs) That's a terrible perk. Yes, widely considered one of the most useless perks in the entire Call of Duty franchise. And also is, like, I think occupies the same perk slot as Steady Aim or Deep Impact. Wow, yeah, (laughs) dreadful. Anyways, come play Call of Duty with me too true uh Find your boy butterfingers <laughs> <laughs> next week we'll be covering the series velvet we'll be doing the full thing numbers 1 to 15 uh so look out for that but until next time to, to be, be continued, continued. You don't play call of duty after this